Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy, druids. In cars. Going to festivals. One of those super common things that we get as priests is, hey, I'd like to do a ritual in my favorite hearth culture. Can you help me? And inevitably, my favorite hearth culture is something that we haven't worked in or don't work in a lot. And navigating that can be entertaining sometimes. I would say that even... Because I experienced this long before being a priest. As senior druid, I certainly did. I'm just talking as random Grove member showing up to stuff. Because especially when I joined, we didn't do Greek ritual. Right. Like, it... We were, I mean, nominally a Gaulish Grove, but everything was kind of in that Celtic-y flair with some Norse thrown in, right? Um, And we just, we didn't do Greek rituals. So for me, like, all of the Grove rituals and all of the public stuff, um, you know, was not to spirits that I had any connection to. And I still get that with Druid Moons. Because our druid moons are Gaulish, and I just... I mean, I've gotten lucky, and I've developed a relationship with Nehalenia, but... <laughs> um, I mean, other than that, like, I just... I don't have that connection. It's all very barbaric to you, isn't it? It is. <laughs> so I'm just saying, this is not of... Like, maybe having to write a ritual in a hearth culture you're unfamiliar with is is more, like liturgist, senior druid, priest kind of scenario. Um, but experiencing a ritual in a hearth com- culture you're unfamiliar with or don't have an interest in, I think is a pretty pretty common experience. A pretty common experience for anyone who isn't solitary. Yeah, and there are groves out there who only do one hearth. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are all Irish all the time or all Norse all the time. And anyone who shows up you know, that's what they do. Yep. Um, we, we've done our best to be flexible on that. Um, and, I mean, one of the ways that we solved the the issue of the Druid Moons was you moved on to doing Hellenic Full Moons. Yep. So we just added more ritual. Yeah. Which is a perfectly valid, ex- you know, way of, of overcoming that. Um, but not everyone has the time to do more ritual. In fact just this past weekend I, I we were talking about we can 
the, the grove that was hosting said, well, we can have more ritual, but when we do more ritual, there's more commitment there, and it's... And more scheduling. More scheduling, and, and it's hard to keep up, and, you know, we all want to do more, but can we do more? Right, right. Um, and... It can it can be difficult to 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 walk that balance. Um, we've mostly solved that solved, I say. That's not really what we're talking about. Um, but we've mostly said, you know, we will rotate more of these more alternative hearth cultures into the process, um, and that has worked out okay. Yeah. With with public high days, that's probably the best you can do is rotate more in. Um, yeah. It, the so part of it with that is um, like someone will express an interest in doing you know a hearth culture that we haven't typically done. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very tempting to say, okay, well you you know you write it and we'll we'll do it. Um, if you're interested in it, that's great. You tell us what to do. Yeah, and I think um, this is a particularly as a priest or a senior druid or a like, chief liturgist um, that I think that's where we fall into that if a, if a congregant says they want to do something, that then it, it does kind of fall on us to do some of that research and figure out how to do it um, because... You know, with our public-facing uh, rituals, we are providing for the larger folk, um, and part of that responsibility is being responsive. Yes, I think so too. And so, yes, while it is tempting to say, "Well, if that's the culture you want to work in, then you 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 bring us the ritual and we'll do it." I don't think that's a, a valid response to it. I think that we have to figure out ways to help them. Because, let's face it, the work that we do is collaborative and community building. And so the solution has to also be collaborative and community building. Yeah, and I do think it is worthwhile to involve them as much as you can. Um, but don't don't make them take on the entire responsibility of writing and leading a ritual um, when that may not be their skill set and they not may not be comfortable or ready to do that. Yes. Um, but when, when we get to a place where we're doing a ritual and it's not our deities, it's not our gods, it's not the spirits that we typically work with, um, so let's look at it from, you want to look at it first from how we write that as priests, or do you want to work at first from how we approach it as individuals coming into a rite? Let's talk about writing. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to organize. I don't know how to organize to make sure I cover both sides Okay, of well, let's talk about writing. All right, let's talk about writing. So, um... Obviously, the first thing to do is to sit down and research. You don't always have time to research. Sometimes you have to rely on what you know, and that might be very little. 
Um, I, I've had that experience before. You'll recall one day sitting around uh, in a, a tent at Wellspring where we were doing, um, I think it was circles of concentration work, and we were going around and everyone was naming a spirit to call in. And this was the, the same the same day that I, I pointed on a map to your... Yeah, yeah no, I, re- I remember. Yeah, your, your, uh, inner, uh, inner ex- your inner temple experience. Um, so everyone's calling on their own deity and then I'm filling in the cosmic picture. And I don't know all these deities and someone calls out to Procunus. And I'm like, all right, you know, thought of God. I know that. Slavic. I know that. I don't know everything about this particular deity, but I made the error of indicating that he had a hammer in his hand. Yeah, and he has an axe. And he carries an axe. And, and that's a piece of iconography I didn't know about. Um, and so sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll get it a little bit wrong. Um, fortunately for me, it was the, the response from the person who had called out to that deity had a very clear mental image of Percutus sort of looking at the <laughs> hammer in his hand and saying well okay then <laughs> being alright with it um, and, and, and that's I mean that's part of the reflection on the other side which is you know you, you've got to cut the people some slack who are working with you on this stuff Yeah. Um, but you know, you can get a long way on comparative mythology. You can get a long way on comparative archaeology. Um, it won't get you all the way there, but it will get you far enough that you're unlikely to offend or cause a problem, I think. Yeah. And so your, your previous study can carry you a long way. The other part of that, of course, is where you have gaps and you have time you need to fill them you need to sit down and, and find the books and, and do the research um, and sometimes that involves going out to an ADF email list and saying hey does anyone have any resources for this are there any previously written uh, rituals that I can look at and print from yeah that's actually super helpful. I definitely did that when I wrote my Avestan right um, to Anahita. Like, that required a lot of research because I didn't have, like, any idea um, with stuff regarding that. And so I, I reached out to uh, a former ADF member who was real who was real into it yeah. and had written stuff and, and pulled some imagery from that that helped lend cohesiveness to the right. Yeah, and that particular right turned out really well. I love that one. It's probably one of my favorite ones that I've written. Yeah, it, it was... It, it was very clearly, I think, outside the comfort zone, and yet you hit all the right notes on it. Yeah. And, I mean, that happens too sometimes, where you, you just get it right, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, but for that in particular, I mean, I did a ton of research. Um, and honestly, if it hadn't been for um, 
a study program, I probably would not have done quite that much research. Yeah, I, I mean, the study programs, if they're good at anything, it is certainly that they're good at stretching us out and giving us new things to write about that we wouldn't have written in the first place. Yeah, like, I think you know, for me, a ritual for a prom dress, for example. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, a lot of it was it gave me permission to yeah. experiment. Yeah. Um, so, as, I mean, it was fun. I loved doing it. Um, and it turned out great, but... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult sometimes. And then, um... I mean, that, that in particular was a ritual that none of the attendees no. had any, you know, connection to that deity either. Right. And so we're, we're in a situation that was very much both sides of that coin, where you were writing something that you didn't have any direct experience with, and everyone was attending something that they didn't have any direct experience with. Yeah. Well, and I would say that not only, like, if you have the time, not only being able to do research, but also I made the point of, like, doing a few mini rituals with Anahita before doing the big, like, summer solstice celebration with you mean on, a, on a personal level. Yeah, on a yeah. personal level. Like, as the person leading that rite, um, I tried to develop the beginnings of a relationship before diving in to a, to a full performative rite for other people. Yeah, and I think that is certainly one of the key things to, to do is to remember that you still have to build your relationships. You still have to make these relationships your own. Yeah. Um, well, and especially as the ritual leader, a lot of times you kind of fall into this place where you are um, facilitating that relationship building for other people. Like, particularly if it's if it's a, to a spirit that some people may not know this is their first experience in a spiritual space with them. Um, you know, you're kind of acting as that, like, you know, I'm the mutual friend <laughs> and I'm introducing two people to each other. Good luck on your blind date. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And... You know, you don't necessarily have to get to know a deity really well, I don't think, to make that introduction. No, no, I don't think so either. Um, in fact, I've done lots of rituals to lots of deities that I don't have a deep connection with these days. Um, you know, I, I haven't maintained those connections for whatever reason, or, you know, I, I haven't, you know, I, I never got deep to start with. There's, there's a lot of things that go on there. But I don't think that you necessarily have to have that deep and abiding connection to create those connections for others. No, I'm just talking about, like, it, it is another useful tool to have in your toolbox of if you have time, do some research. If you have time, start the beginnings of a relationship. Uh, these are all things that can help you um, with a hearth culture or a spirit that you are unfamiliar with. Yes. Um, and the same kind of goes on the other side of that. When you approach uh, a new deity or a new culture as a, a participant in a ritual, 
it's not a bad idea to look up the deity and the occasion, which is why we try and post who that is before a ritual, mm -hmm. uh, so that people can, you know, at least read our description or go out and find a Wikipedia page or something like that and come up with a proper offering. The, uh, the ability to come up with a proper offering is, I think, very contingent upon having an idea of who that offering will go to. Yeah. And what that individual likes. Well, and, like, sometimes you can make some good guesses. Yeah. Like, if they are a deity who is involved in agriculture, like, you know, grain is probably a pretty good bet. Yep. Right? Um, and so, you know, like, it doesn't have to be deep research if you're a participant. You know, it can be that kind of surface level... Who are they? What's their domain? Uh, you know, brief things that might be sacred to them. Yeah. I mean, and Stay in the part of it, too, is the, the reason that I... So, so for almost every rite, I use silver. Um, but the reason that I also carry a couple of gold things in my offering trove that I keep with my stuff is because sometimes we honor Vedic deities and silver is not really the appropriate thing. Gold is perfectly appropriate. Silver isn't as good a choice, I don't think, um, because silver is, of course, the tears of Agni. Um, and and it, it is born from the suffering of a god. I'm like, not what I want to offer. Right. So um, I, I, I keep that on me just in case I run into that. And that way, when I do a Vedic ride, I'm not offering silver. I'm, right. offering, I'm offering something that I know is, is more acceptable. Um, at least if I have to use something of mine in a pinch right. or something like that. So, uh, having kind of that basic overall understanding of where silver comes from in the Vedas uh, helps me to improve my offering to any Vedic spirit as a result. And then the other kinds of things that we encounter in a lot of cases are whole new landscapes. So when we're talking about the vision work and the attunement work and stuff like that that goes with particular cultures they have entirely different climates and entirely different sets of trees and things like that. Um, being able to describe to people the kind of space that you would find that deity in mm -hmm. is also helpful and useful. So, again, research. Trying to figure that out. Yeah, the, the landscape one is interesting because it's useful in the descriptions of the spirits and, like, where they dwell. Yes. But I think it is also just as important to consider um, where like you are in your space. own climate. Uh -huh. So, like, I've talked to some of the druids out in uh, Las Vegas yeah. who, when, when we talk about, like, the mists rolling in and uh, the clouds in the sky Things that don't <laughs> and, exist and the there. rain and the, you know, the trees whose leaves change color, like... It, it's completely foreign to them. Like, it, yeah. it's no, there's no frame of reference for that. It's not something that they experience in their everyday life, and it doesn't serve to connect them. 
yes. to the ritual itself. So I, I think, you know, there, it's also worth taking that into account. Yes, it certainly is. Um, yeah, I, I, I spend a lot of time researching. And one of the other things that we've done as a grove is we've got our funerary uh, survey. Yeah. So that if someone were to pass, we have at least some information about the deities that they would want to honor. Yeah, some of the questions on there are like, do you have any patrons or special spirits? Do you follow a hearth culture? Do you have specific um, beliefs about the afterlife? What would be a good offering for you? Uh, so these are all things that are part of that survey that we, you know, we ask people to kind of just give a brief thought to. Yeah. Speaking of, since sound is coming up for us, I have no idea when this is going to get released, but we should probably pop that survey back out. In yeah. Case anything's changed. I try to put it out once a year yeah. around. It's about that time. Around again. fall, you know. Um, but the. Uh, uh, that's another place where we. Both, both funerals, weddings, and baby blessings are places where we very often encounter spirits that we don't typically yeah, work with. Personal rites of passage. Exactly. We, we encounter that kind of stuff. Yeah, and if you've got the time, like for a wedding or a baby blessing, typically you've got some notice of those. Right. You've got the ability to do the research that you need to do. Um, but funerals, you don't get that. No. <laughs> At least not as much of it. And that is complicated on its own. Additionally with the idea that maybe not everyone wants you know, even in death not everyone wants everyone to know what they believe. Right. You know, and that figuring out how to slot deities that you're not deeply familiar with into a, a crypto pagan service, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is its own special kind of weird. Yeah, um, but you know, the the more the more you do and the more you've got scripted, um, the better off you're going to be with that sort of thing as well. The more research you can put into it. So I think the the biggest takeaway for me is make sure that you do your research where you have the time, but also trust your skills yeah um people come to you for a reason there's not a a, a concern that you're not going to be able to do it but do what you can to work with them and to work with the research that you can get a hold of mm-hmm. um, now it's interesting um because we talk about like this idea of it being difficult to write or perform a ritual for a deity that you're you're unfamiliar with. Um, I am a devotee of Poseidon, and I am deeply uncomfortable with the idea of running a ritual dedicated to Poseidon for other people. So, what's at the root of that? Is it because you are um, worried about bringing your personal stuff into it, or is it because you're worried that you can't do it justice, or is it more of a worry that um, people won't see it the same way that you do? Mostly, it is that my experience 
of Poseidon has transcended the lore. So, like, there is a lot of stuff that I now experience with him and is part of our relationship and part of my devotion that has no basis in, like, written mythology. Um, And so there's this, like, I'm deeply uncomfortable that people, A, will see into that, like, personal experience that I have like I'm not I'm not super into PDA (laughs) and so it feels very much like that like a big public display of affection yeah like I'll I'll hold hands with someone like out in public but like nothing beyond that like just I am for myself you don't want anyone to see you snogging your god. That's what the problem is. We don't have that kind of relationship. But if we did, yes, that would be a good a good analogy. But, like, I, I, there's just this, this fear that, like, people are expecting, you know, a completely lore-based um, right to whoever you're, you're honoring in this public ritual. And for me... Like, I feel like I know so much more about him and would want to include those kinds of things in a rite and wouldn't be able to just limit myself to just established lore. Um, that I just, I get deeply uncomfortable with this idea of trying to lead that type of ritual. So here's a funny thing. Um, do you know why Tutates is the patron of the Grove? I mean, I assume it has something to do with you in Asus. It does. It does. <laughs> and, and the specific thing that it has to do with me in Asus, uh, who is, of course, my patron, is that I was deeply uncomfortable with the notion that, you know, Asus, who is the god who called me to start this whole thing, um, might be the god that we would call on as a patron of this group because <laughs> I didn't want to force my my devotion onto other people. And so Tutates is a perfect cipher for the work that we do because, you know, known to each in their own way. God of the tribe. God of the tribe. I don't care how you see this god, goddess, goddess, whatever, mantis, you know, whatever <laughs> it might be, it's a perfectly valid way to, to look at it because it's the God that guided you here. And um, by by not making it my God who brought me here, I ended up being far more comfortable with the whole notion that, you know, of what we were doing. It, it made it, it... It made it less The Michael Show and even less the Michael and Joe show, which is what it might have been when we started this. We had that option. We could have made it that, but neither of us, and certainly not I, had the kind of personality to say, well, this is what I do, so this is what everyone's going to do. I very much prefer that everyone gets the chance to do the work that they want to do, and then we get to share that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't think the Grove has ever done a right 
dedicated to Poseidon. Um, we've definitely done other Hellenic deities, which I'm perfectly comfortable. We, we have uh, had Poseidon as a deity of the occasion once or twice, but I don't know if that was when you were here. I think it might have been before that. It, it would have been a long, long time ago. Yeah, I feel like the previous devotee of Poseidon that was in the grove was pre-me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like, I don't know, I feel like if someone else led that ritual, like, I would be happy to call him as deity of the occasion. Um, but that's just, like, a brief invocation, <laughs> you know, like, that's not... <laughs> well, and, I mean, you give a brief invocation every every ritual. I do, I do. <laughs> during the praise offering. So, yeah, I don't think that you would at all be uncomfortable with it, but, um, yeah, the, the idea of taking and shaping the right yeah. is, is different than participating in the right. And I think that you and I, really, I think that we have the same discomfort with foisting our devotion onto yeah. others. Yeah. Just deeply uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Um. So. But yeah, that, that, that's a little further afield than where we intended to go, but there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anything else about experiencing ritual with uh, spirits that you don't know? As opposed to those that you know intimately. <laughs> yes. Um, no, I, I think I think it does come back down to you know, research where you can, trust yourself uh, where you can't, and you know if you screw it up, it's okay. You're not going to do something really awful, and it's also it's okay not to participate in um, rituals that make you uncomfortable. But, not everyone is, is interested in going to a ritual for Loki. Not everyone right. is interested in going to a ritual with Odin. You know, there, there are deities that are just outside of our comfort zone, too, and I encourage people to honor their to Honor their own needs exactly. and boundaries. I would say that um, if it's just a deity that you don't know, like... Oh, yeah. Be open to meeting them. Like, it may be a great experience. And, um, you know, it's a great way to get to know other spirits beyond just researching them. So I would definitely say, you know, take the opportunity to experience rituals to these other spirits. Um, and, and don't just not go to something if it's not Irish. Yeah. Um... Well, and festivals are great for that. Festivals are really good for that. You, you can see all sorts of cool, weird stuff at a, at a festival. Um, there's, there's usually at least one ritual to someone you're not familiar with. Right. Well, I mean, in addition to the fact that you're going to be around a bunch of people who all have different special spirits that you can just talk with about your relationships. Yep. Um, so, like, that is cool on its own. But I would say, you know, don't don't limit yourself to only experiencing one hearth culture you know honor your needs honor your boundaries honor your instincts but don't needlessly limit yourself thanks for listening and there's more to come we welcome your ideas and questions if there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org 
If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org, and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes, and let us pray with a good fire.